Lord, we, um, we ask that you would expand our understanding and knowledge of you, um, Lord, not just in our head, but Lord, in our experience of, of living as well. And uh, we ask that you would bless this time as we go to your word to reveal more of yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, some time ago, it's funny how it's, we think of these things as if it was just like, you know, last year or something, but uh, actually like over a decade ago, um, I, I used to do uh, carpentry, uh, and finish carpentry, and, um, and the nature of, of that was I would, I would work with a lot of different types of woods, and and uh, the end product had to, had to have a, a certain appearance to it. And so whereas I'd done some framing construction, um, and the framing, you know, it's, it's, it's being, being relatively fast and efficient, and it all gets covered up. So it needs to be functional. It needs to work properly. Um, it doesn't need to be beautiful. Uh, but with finished carpentry, it needs to be all the above. And so, in order to pull that off, I had certain saw blades and certain tools that were designated only for when I was working with certain types of wood. They weren't to be pulled out when I was building a deck or framing a wall. They, they stayed in their case, tucked away, uh, safely away from... Uh, from nails and staples and uh, being thrown on the ground, those tools never saw the ground. Uh, and unless I was working on the floor, I might gently set it down next to me. Um, certain tools had to be kept sharp for the purpose. And so there's a sense in which, in my, in my armada of tools, some of them were consecrated for a purpose. They were designated, devoted to a purpose. And um, they were set apart from all my other tools that could be dragged through the mud and even left out in the rain for a time. These tools, they, that, they didn't get that kind of treatment. They got a special treatment because they had a special purpose, and so they were preserved for that special purpose. Um, any of you that have ever worked with chisels, you know what I'm talking about. There, there's that chisel that you use to, like, pry nails out and and get things apart and then there are those chisels that they have a case or a sleeve that they're tucked in and that's where they stay because they're sharp and if you intend to keep using them uh, to to chisel wood uh, you need to keep them that way the blades clean and sharp and crisp and um, so we we understand uh, if you work in the kitchen, if you cook, there are going to be certain tools that you have designated for certain purposes. They don't get used for just anything. They're designated for certain things. It might be a knife or something. You, you have it designated for certain purposes. We understand this concept. This, this it happens to a whole other level when it comes to our relationship with God. That God consecrates His people. For his glorious purposes. 
And we're going to look at that today in Exodus chapter 24. First, I want to ask this question, what does it mean to be consecrated? Well, we've already kind of touched on that. But it, 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 for, for our purposes here in Scripture, and really the, the, the ultimate definition of being consecrated is to be set apart for the Lord. To be devoted or dedicated um, the entirety, really, of ourself, or of, as we'll see the, as we go through this part of Exodus, although we won't see all of it today, uh, throughout this part of Exodus, God is giving instructions to His people about how they're to worship Him. And things are being consecrated for the purpose of worship. Set apart uh, for the purpose of, of honoring and glorifying Yahweh. And, and so they are being set apart for the sole purpose, the entirety of the thing being set apart, dedicated uh, to the Lord for His glory and for His purpose. And ultimately, what we're working towards here and what Exodus is beginning to reveal, as it's, it's, I really keep coming back to, Exodus is like the Old Testament Gospel. Um, it, so much of what's happening in Exodus points points very directly to Christ and the ultimate fulfillment that comes through Christ. And so, as we look at what it means to be consecrated, ultimately it means that God sets His people apart to be purposed for His glory, for His kingdom, to belong to Him. Let's look at Exodus chapter 24, and we'll start in verse 1 here this morning. Um, By the way, I'll give you a little heads up. We are going to go into the book of Hebrews, right around chapter 9. And if you happen to want to uh, tuck something in there ahead of time, you'll save yourself a a little bit of time there. Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Um, Now, what is... What is this a reference to? Well, it's a reference to what we've been going through the last several Sundays. Basically, Exodus 20 through 23, um, God is, is giving commands to Moses that are to be passed on to the people. Here we find out that what God has given to Moses, Moses has been faithful now to give to the people. Remember, Moses is a mediator um, here between God and man. Moses is a, a Christ-like figure for us. Remember Exodus being really such a, 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 um, a picture of what is to come in Christ. Ultimate salvation, eternal things. Where here we are seeing it in, a, a, in the earthly things, we're seeing the picture of what is going to be happening with heavenly things. And Moses is a type of Christ. He is a mediator between God and man. And he is sort of the one whom God has brought in this point in history to uh, be a type of Savior in the sense that God uses him to rescue his people out of Egypt. 
Now, God does the saving. Moses is not the Savior as we, in the way that we refer to Christ as the Savior, but he, he, he gives us a picture of what Christ is like. Um, an Old Testament snapshot of what Christ will be like. And Moses here comes to the people and is faithful to bring the words of the Lord, the commands and the rules to them. And all the people then answer with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The the people in hearing the commands of the Lord, they together express that they will, in in a unified way, be committed to obedience, to surrender, to loyalty, to covenant faithfulness with Yahweh. In verse 4, And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So not only did Moses receive the words from the Lord, and not only was he faithful to give those words now to the people so that they would know the commands of the Lord, but he also writes them down. And here we have now, uh, we begin to understand how, how these first few books of the Bible came to be. Moses wrote these things down so as not so that they would not be forgotten or lost. God uh, inspired Moses to make sure that his words are preserved and he still preserves them today. Moses writes them down. He he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Whenever we read about an altar, it is is almost always a, a place where there is to be worship. Worship of Yahweh. It is, it is a, it, they're significant in marking something that God has done, worshiping Him, uh, and encountering God. And it, here we have the, uh, uh, the mountain referred to. It's just called the mountain. This is the same mountain that's mentioned in Exodus chapter 19, verse 2. They set out for Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. Which mountain? Well, interestingly, it's the same mountain we read about in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. When God meets with, with Moses, He said, but I will be with you. Listen to this very closely. So consider the context here that we're at in Exodus chapter 24, where now Moses has called uh, the leaders of Israel to, to come before him in worship. And look at this, Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. So before any of this comes to pass, before, before Moses ever goes to meet up with, with Pharaoh, um, before God rescues his people out of Egypt, here's what the Lord says, what Yahweh says to Moses. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Mount Sinai, as they gather here together um, to worship God, this, this is the sign that Moses was told would happen. Isn't that kind of interesting? God says, the sign that you're doing what I want you to do um, will come later. You go do this, and the sign that you've done what I've asked you to do will be when you gather at this mountain, 
and, and, uh, and worship and serve me. And here, Moses is certainly getting that confirmation that he has done what God has asked him to do, that, that God is indeed present with his people. The 12 pillars here is a reference, obviously, to the 12 tribes, as it mentions here. And so we have a, a, a symbolic thing going on here that expresses the unity of all of Israel being uh, committing themselves to the Lord in faithfulness. Embracing the commands of the Lord and saying, we will obey, we will follow you, we will, we will have covenant faithfulness to you alone. Verse 5 here, and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. These are an expression of, of the worship of Yahweh, uh, but these sacrifices also express a deep need for him. Um, a reliance upon him is part of it, but also a deep need for, for them to be made uh, um, clean or purified, to be made a- appropriate or acceptable um, to Yahweh. That, that's in, our, in our own human condition, there's something lacking in us for us to meet with God. And so the sacrifices are also a, um, have to do with, with their submission, their need for Him, and also a need to be made acceptable to Yahweh. As we continue on here in verse 6, and Moses took half of the blood from these sacrifices and put, put it in basins, and, uh, or took the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw uh, against the altar now, the blood throwing against the altar here is, is a consecration of the altar, a setting apart of the altar that, that this is the place where we are worshiping Yahweh, the one who saved us, the one who's provided for us, the one who rescued us, the one who is sovereign over his people, the one is, who has helped us and protected us. And so the blood on the altar is is, is just that. It's to say this is not any other gathering of sticks and stones. This is a devoted, sacred place because we are meeting Yahweh here. Verse 7, Then um, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. So once again, they reiterate their their commitment to faithfulness to God. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Again, the symbolism of Moses throwing the blood on the people is that you are now consecrated to God. Just as we consecrated this altar to be set apart for the worship of God, now you, in making this commitment to the Lord, have been consecrated, set apart for the purpose of His glory. 
That is, this is a, a very significant thing that's happening here. Uh, this isn't, this isn't uh, just a, um, you know, here's your membership card. Carry it around. There's some benefits with it. This is, you, you, they have functionally, foundationally been set apart, distinguished from who they were to now who they are as belonging to God, being set apart as His people for His glory, for His purpose. Now this has obvious, um, this has obvious foreshadowings of things to come. There's a, here a consecrating, a devoting, a setting apart, um, and even a purifying sense about this. That a sinful people are made acceptable to God by Him. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. You can turn back there if you want to. God said this to His people. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is Mine. And you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Yahweh said, if you will, if you will commit yourselves to Me, if you will walk in covenant faithfulness, you, I will make you into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is, that they would be a people who would represent Him to the rest of the world. That they would be set apart for Him. And here in Exodus chapter 24, we see the Lord bringing that to fruition. It's very, actually, we, and we looked at this when we were in Exodus chapter 19 there. We actually... Uh, looked at this, but if we if you turn to First Peter um, chapter two, uh, you don't have to do that right now. But in First Peter chapter two, what is said of believers, followers of Christ, those who believe in Jesus, but He has made you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that we are set apart as believers in Christ. We are set apart as being His representatives, his, as the ones who bring. His, his truth to the rest of the world. He has consecrated us in Christ for his, this glorious purpose. There's so much good stuff here in Exodus chapter 24 in, this, uh, in what happens here in verse, in verse 8 when he says, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That phrase, blood of the covenant, You'll see that come up several times throughout Scripture, but we also see it come up again in the New Testament, in the Gospels. But it's no longer the blood of the covenant. It is my blood of the covenant. And it's Jesus who says those words. Let's look. Uh, there's some, some great insight and help in understanding um, the significance of the blood and the sacrifice um, in the Old Testament when we look in Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 9, if you stuck something in there, you're ahead of the game here. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. And, and really, 
really try to follow this along, I would encourage you to come back to um, really Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. Spend some time in there. It will help you understand the significance of the Old Testament sacrificial system and even more than that, the significance of why Christ is so, the coming of Christ is so earth shattering. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of creation, of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Now, some of this we're going to get into more uh, as we work our way through the rest of Exodus. Um, but I would encourage you to probably keep something tucked in this part of Hebrews because as we work our way through Exodus, you're probably going to want to come back here so that you can have a, a, uh, a contextual understanding of Old Testament stuff that we're going to look at with the context of Christ our Savior. Okay, so um, verse 12, He entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood. So remember back here in Exodus chapter 24, it says that, there are, uh, that the young men, they came and, and made burnt offerings and peace offerings, um, that there, there are uh, animals here that are being uh, sacrificed and their blood is being used in this. But here, the different, we have a, a new thing that's happening. Whereby in the Old Testament, this would happen over and over and over again. Here it says, He entered once for all. One time. The sacrifice of Christ was sufficient once. Whereas in the Old Testament, it was over and over and over and the job was never done. The sacrifice was never complete. It was never sufficient. But Christ came and entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In other words, there's a picture going on in the, in, in the Old Testament here in Exodus where there are earthly and temporal things that are giving us a foreshadow of things that are heavenly and eternal that are going to pass, come to pass. And so the blood of Christ secures an eternal redemption. Not a temporary covering of sin, not a, not a, a temporary uh, fulfillment of something, but an eternal redemption. Verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? So, in other words, if, if, if here in Exodus, if the, the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of on sinful people um, with the ashes of a heifer, if that's able to make somebody acceptable to God in that moment, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And when we, when we, so in other words, Christ's sacrifice it so far outdoes anything that happened with the blood of goats and bulls. His sacrifice is far superior to any other sacrifice, and it was the only one that was sufficient. When you read the word there, I'm not sure what your translation says in the ESV. It says uh, that uh, purify our conscience. Um, think not about your thinking. Think your soul. That part of you that weighs over um, good and bad, moral and immoral. Um, the part of you that fears God or doesn't. That this, this is what uh, is said that um, it is God who then through Christ, through His blood, purifies our conscience, our soul, from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, through Christ, we are, we, we are made clean and acceptable, consecrated to God. Verse 15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Remember I mentioned Moses being sort of the mediator there in Exodus? Jesus is the mediator, the high priest. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, not through any other man. We need not go through, you need not go through me. In fact, I can't really help you when it comes to you dealing with your sin. I mean, I can show you the way, but I can't do anything about your sin. I don't have that power. I don't have the authority to forgive you of your sin. Christ alone can do that. He is our only mediator before the Father. So he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. There's a death that has occurred, the death of Christ on the cross that has uh, redeems us from all of our sins that we committed apart from him. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. In other words, uh, we understand this. Uh, if you have a will that says what all your, where all your stuff is going when you die, or what you want to happen with it, that will outlines those details of your wishes. But that will is not exercised until when? And, until you die. That's what's being said here, that where there's a will involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. In other words, that as, as these covenants were made, uh, a blood sacrifice was required, and the, the ultimate covenant, new covenant here, with Christ as the mediator is being established not by the blood of animals, but by the blood of Christ Himself. And we gain an eternal inheritance because of His death. In other words, uh, in a legal sense, Christ had a will. That will said, these folks who believe in Me gain eternal life with Me forever. 
And that will gets exercised now, enforced upon his death. Because upon his death, he took the weight of all of our sin, the wrath of God against our sin, he took it upon himself, making a way for us to now inherit, gain the eternal inheritance that God desires to give us of life eternal with him, forgiveness of sin. For when, uh, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses of all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels uh, used in worship. Now we're going to work towards that in Exodus. We're not there yet today, but that will make a little more sense as we work through that. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So then the question for us is going to be then, Whose blood or what blood must be shed in order to be sufficient for the forgiveness of sins? And that's what Hebrews 9 is all about. Hebrews 10, that Christ came once and for all by His blood making this new covenant. Verse 23, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, that is, the earthly things we're going to read about here in Exodus that are going to be used in the worship uh, of folks here of Yahweh, there are earthly things that are being consecrated, earthly things that, that are present there, and those earthly things are purified uh, for their purposes, consecrated for their purposes, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the Old Testament is a, we get a lot of earthly pictures in the Old Testament of things that are heavenly going to happen in the New Testament, coming to fruition in Christ. Verse 24 then in Hebrews 9, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Man, I mean, can you imagine? We have Christ representing us in in this ultimate legal case whereby our sin has made us guilty before a holy and righteous Creator, and we stand subject to His judgment, and Christ has gone on our behalf, standing before the Father, saying, I have paid this in full. Man, that's something. Verse 25 nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. In other words, if Christ's sacrifice was no better than any of the other sacrifices, he'd have to keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. 
And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly who are eagerly waiting for him. In other words, Christ is coming back, but unlike the high priests of the Old Testament that had to come back to do another sacrifice, and then come back to do another sacrifice, and then come back to do another sacrifice, and never actually got the privilege of sitting down because the work was never actually done. That's why it's significant here that, that Christ, He comes once to offer a sacrifice of sin, and it is sufficient So when he comes back again, it's not to make any more sacrifice for sin. It is it is to make uh, to to bring full redemption to those who are under that sacrifice. And in fact, Hebrews even uses the language that Christ sat down at the right hand of God. Why is that significant? Because it just puts the punctuation, the exclamation mark on the fact that what Jesus did finished it. This is some pretty incredible stuff. And Jesus knew what He was here for. Jesus knew that He Himself was consecrated for the purpose of saving, rescuing, redeeming. He knew that His purpose was to become our sacrifice. Our ultimate sacrifice. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28. So the disciples and Jesus, they gather um, what's commonly called the Last Supper. would have been a Passover meal together. Um, that celebrated all the things that God had done, looked forward to the things that God was still going to do. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks... He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This isn't just any blood. This isn't just any covenant. This is His blood and His covenant. Did you see back there in Exodus chapter 24 that Moses says, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you? This is not a covenant being made on our part as if we've come to God saying we we finally figured out how we can be acceptable to you. We finally figured out what we can do to uh, obtain uh, deserving of being in, in your kingdom or being called your people. No, that's not how it happened. Even in Exodus 24, it was recognized that this blood of the covenant, this covenant was made from heaven to earth. There is no covenant that goes from earth to heaven. There is no covenant where we've figured out how to go to heaven. Or we've figured out how to be made right to God. These covenants work from heaven to earth. And here Jesus says, this 
is my blood of the covenant. The blood of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls him, uh, just, just says it very explicitly what he is, our Passover lamb. The Passover lamb that, that we see in the Old Testament pointed forward to the ultimate Passover lamb, Christ. His sacrifice is for our sake to consecrate us fully, completely, and permanently to God. We cannot consecrate ourselves to God. Now, there is a way we can consecrate ourselves, but not in the sense where we become acceptable to God and and forgiven of our sins and, and be made into a condition where we can be called His people, His child, and have the promise of eternal life. That comes only through the blood of Christ. Now I'll talk a minute in that there is another sense where we can consecrate ourselves in that we begin to, as the Holy Spirit brings to mind the stuff of, in our life and in our, in, our, in our heart, in our mind, that ordered part of our world that needs to now be brought into alignment and submission to His authority for His glorious purpose. So that the stuff of our life, the thoughts in our life, the desires of our heart are all brought into alignment to what God has now made us. God has made us consecrated. Now we must live consecrated. Let's look at verse 8. Or continuing on here. Verse 9, Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. This is interesting. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly what they saw. I can only just point to this and say this is what they said they saw. And, and every time we see an encounter with with some glimpse of the glory of God, it's like people, those who are trying to describe it, it's like they can't figure out the right words and pictures to give us to help us really understand what they're taking in. The the glory of God is, is so otherly to our experience, though we catch little glimpses of it, we, we can't possibly comprehend the glory and splendor of God. And and as, whether it's in Revelation or Daniel or wherever you're at where you where you or Isaiah where you see these glimpses of of God's glory and and they're trying to describe what it's like to be when when they get these pictures of heaven and pictures of God's glory and presence it's like it's like sapphire stones that are like really clear I I, I don't know what else to tell you now we know here from Scripture that we Scripture's clear that nobody is capable of, of being in the presence of God's full glory and surviving the event. So when we're, we're told that they saw the God of Israel, this isn't to see His full glory being displayed because there's no way they could have survived that. But apparently they've caught some glimpse of His glory. 
And they say that, uh, and, and it's interesting, what they describe is, they don't even describe his feet. They describe under his feet. Like the stuff that's under God is just too much to even try to describe. It were a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. I don't even know what to make of that. I don't even, I can't even, I don't even have a picture in my head of what that is like. One of these days, we're, we're going to be like standing there, taking it in and going, it's, it's like sapphire stone, like, like the very heaven for clearness. I don't know how else to describe it. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. In other words, they weren't utterly destroyed in this encounter with Yahweh. As the leaders beheld a measure of Yahweh's glory, um, they were, their lives were spared here. Yahweh had made them acceptable to himself for this encounter. And their display of faith and submission to him has a lot to do with that. In Hebrews chapter 10, again, uh, verse 19, hopefully you still left your, your, your mark there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, says this, remember all those things in Exodus, they look forward to a greater sacrifice, a greater salvation, a greater inheritance a greater Savior. Hebrews 10.19 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, well, that is a profound statement when we take into account the Old Testament sacrificial system. Not just anybody went into the Holy of Holies. There were only certain people who were ever allowed into the Holy of Holies, and not even all of them were allowed to go in. And certainly not to allow, allowed to go in uh, whenever they wanted to. But only certain ones could go in at certain times and there was a certain way that they had to prepare themselves for this encounter to go into the Holy of Holies. But here we're told in chapter 10, verse 19 of Hebrews that we have confidence to enter the holy places. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God has made a way for us to be completely totally acceptable to him and it is only through Christ through faith in the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ that is the only way that we may be made right before God this gift is for everyone the gift is offered to everyone who would receive Christ by faith For everyone who would humbly surrender their lives to Him. 
who would humbly come before him and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need you to make me clean. I need your blood. I I need to be made acceptable to you. For those who would come before him in that way, he has given you not only the opportunity for salvation, the opportunity to be called a child of God, but in John's gospel, he says that you have the right to become a child of God through faith in Christ. Not the possibility that maybe he'll accept you into his kingdom and call you his child if you accept Christ and maybe do some other stuff and turn out halfway decent in your life. That's not what he says. In John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Oh, here it is. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It is Christ who consecrates us, sets us apart, makes us acceptable to the Father. And through him, we have the right to be his child, to be called his child, to gain the full inheritance of what that means, to have eternal life through him. And this doesn't happen through natural descent, through human hands, through our decisions, through our pursuits. Uh, There's no action we can take. There's no philosophy we can live out. It only happens through Christ. That we are born anew of God. As he gets to in John chapter 3, talks about being born again. Remember Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 It said this, Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, through Christ we have forgiveness of sin. And as we look in Exodus in chapter 24 here where God is showing His people what it means now to be His belong to Him, to be set apart, consecrated, devoted, dedicated, the enti- their entire beings, an entire life, every, their future that lies before them, uh, their, their family and their descendants are to be consecrated, set apart, devoted to Him for His glory, for His purpose. And that in there, there is tremendous blessing. And this is a picture of the things that are to come that are eternal, that are forever in Christ. And there are things that we must do if we are going to be acceptable to God. Or there are things that must happen. One, we must believe in Jesus. Scripture is very clear. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other way to eternal life. There is no other way to, be, to belong to God but through Christ. To believe in Him. Second thing, to be forgiven and purified. And we can't forgive or purify ourselves. And we can't forgive or purify one another. Uh, 
a, a priest can't do that. A pastor can't do that. A great person can't do that. Christ, and only Christ, does that. So when we believe in Jesus, when we trust Him for salvation, when we, when we come to Him and say, God, forgive me, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I'm trusting in you, and I want to live for you. He forgives us of our sins and purifies us now from that sin. And the third thing is we must be consecrated to God. And we can't do the consecrating. Are you getting the picture here? You can't find your way to heaven. There is not a map there. There is not a map that will take you there. Heaven starts from the initiation of our Creator, reaching from heaven to earth. John's Gospel, he said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God so loved the world that He sent His Son. And it is through Christ that we are consecrated, made acceptable, set apart for the kingdom of God. Again, John says it like this in his Gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and I want to leave it with this. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. My question for you is, have you believed in His name? Has, have you received His forgiveness? Have you been purified from your sin? Have you been set apart as belonging to God and all that through faith in Christ? Have you trusted Christ for salvation? Have you repented of your sins and said, God, clean me and make me new in Christ? If, that's, if you haven't, then let today be that day. Because God will make you new. He will wipe your sins clean. Christ paid the price on the cross and now has offered you full forgiveness of all of your sin so that you can be made acceptable to Him and set apart now for the kingdom of God, belonging to God for eternity and eternal inheritance that He desires to give you. And for you believers, I mentioned that there's two types of consecration. There's a type of consecration that happened at the cross whereby by faith we receive uh, forgiveness of sin and eternal life, and we are made uh, new, born anew in God. And so we are consecrated as now belonging to God. We have the right to be a child of God through Christ. But there's another type of consecrating that happens throughout our life now. Now that we're a follower of Christ, now God is going to go about through the power of the Holy Spirit, through His Word, through the counsel of others, that we are going to begin to understand, like, as we go through our life, that, uh, wow, I just realized my mouth is not very consecrated to God. Or I realized my finances are not consecrated to God. Or I realized that this relationship is not consecrated to God. That there are things in our, in our life that are not living out the glorious purpose now that we have been given 
And so we begin to now, as the Lord points it out to us and teaches us, we begin to consecrate these things. That is, we, we do what we can to devote now these areas, the entirety of our life, to Him. And live out the very thing that He's made us, and that is to be a child of God. There is nothing that can top the sacrifice of Christ and there is nothing that can top what God has offered us by way of salvation from our sin or by way of the inheritance of the gift of heaven through Christ. And the question is, will you come to him and receive him by faith? Will you be a child of God through Christ? Will you receive forgiveness of sins and be set apart now for something new and glorious in Christ? my prayer that you will that we will and that we will live it out all of our days father we thank you that you would so love us that you would send your son to die for us on the cross to be our sacrifice our passover lamb to be the once and for all sacrifice for us we thank you that Jesus shed his blood for us. That it was enough for me. That it was enough for my family. That it was enough for my friends. That it was enough for everyone sitting here. It's enough for everyone in our community. It's enough for everyone across this globe. Throughout history, those living today and those that will be born in the future, that your blood was enough. Lord, it's my prayer that for those sitting here who have been considering this or who are now considering giving their life to you, that you would, that you would bring them into your kingdom, that you would uh, help them to receive you by faith and begin to walk with you and receive your forgiveness today to be made new, a child of God. And for those who are believers, that we... Uh, Lord, would be diligent now to live as those whom you've created us to be, consecrated children of God, devoted to your purposes and your glory. And we ask that you would uh, point those things out, Lord, where, where there are parts of our life that are not glorifying to you. That you would teach us how to, how to be transformed. Lord, we thank you ultimately for this gift that you've given us of being saved and rescued from our sin and giving the, given the hope of eternal life and belonging in your family now, known by your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 27 and 28 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We get one lifetime. This one body, this one mind, this one ticker inside of here. We get one of those. Well, I guess in some cases in modern technology, we might get a couple of those tickers, but <laughs> regardless, you get the idea. When that ticker stops, 
that's the end of our days, and the thing that comes next is the judgment of God. And my question to you is, are you today ready to stand before God? Are you today ready to stand before the judgment of God? If the answer is no, well, if the answer is yes, it can only be yes because you've placed your faith in Christ. And if the answer is no, then I plead with you today to repent of your sin, to turn away from it, to ask for God's forgiveness, and to take hold of the gift of forgiveness in Christ. That today, you would go from being scared of God's judgment to now being confident that that judgment was satisfied at the cross and that you have been given the gift of life, becoming now a child of God who will enter into this, His eternal kingdom. If you'd like to do that today, I'll be up front here after the service to pray with you and to help you take that step of faith and trusting in Christ. And if you're a believer today that just needs to, you recognize, as we were singing in that uh, Be Thou My Vision about having our heart set apart for Him, having our life set apart for Him, if you're recognizing that you've not been living set apart for Him, that you were willing to accept this gift of forgiveness that He offered you, but you've not been willing to walk now as that forgiven person, as that child of God, and you want to dedicate yourself now to live for His glory, I'll be up here, I'd like to pray with you and uh, help you devote yourself, consecrate yourself to his purposes and his glory. Lord, bless and keep you, church. Walk around, you are consecrated for him. Live like it.